0: You are listening to the Talking Tough podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey, everybody. It's Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough, where we interview each week the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Uh, Here's the tagline for this podcast, and I I like to talk about this a bit before we introduce the guest and get started. Um, With these tough men and women, we talk about their stories of triumph, essentially what made them what you see them as or who you think they are or may be. And it in, inevitably or invariably, every one of these amazingly tough people has had a pretty major fall from grace to, to their own kind of hellish rock bottom, if you will. We talk about that um, in detail, and we talk about their climb back to top, to the top or to life, a, as we call it. Um, before I get into that today, and the guest today, I, I'm going to hold the name for a moment because it, it's a big one, and it's going to be a great interview, I think, based upon the theme of talking tough and, and who this person is. Um, I always have to do an introduction of my dogs first, and there's a reason for it. Um, As you all know, I live up here in the wilds of Maui. There are no other people within a quarter half a mile from here. So if a car comes anywhere close to this house, you're going to hear an explosion of barking from my four little maniacal pit bulls. And uh, that allows me to promote the one thing I like to promote on this podcast, which is our nonprofit, the Bully Dog Rescue Coalition. You can check us out at BullyDogRescue.com. My dogs, Ramon, Gogo, Eos, and Dennis are the four spokesdogs for our organization. And we raise awareness for the cause of of bettering lives for pit bulls everywhere. And we raise money for four incredible women, including Linda Blair of The Exorcist fame, who have dedicated their lives to safe harboring dogs at these sanctuaries that they have put up and invested their lives in. So please support Bully's Angels and the Bully Dog Rescue Coalition at BullyDogRescue.com. We're about to go with talking tough. Uh, our guest today is an old friend of mine who I'm happy to say I've recently renewed my friendship with. Uh, this guy is an, an absolute contradiction in terms and, and we're gonna get into that. And very, and in in many ways, he is as as you might perceive them to be. But in in more ways, he, he's very opposite. Very complex guy, a very good guy, a very tough guy. It's my pleasure to welcome today, Mark Kerr. Mark, are you with us?
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Rick. Man, thank you, <clears throat> thank you for having me on. I, I you know I appreciate it. It's um it's my own little. Um, You know, like, I'm finding these little spots where I can give back uh, that I've never really been able to give back like I should. And I I think, you know, a lot of, you know, what your your life has gone through and where I am now in my life, it's just just an opportunity to reach out and, you know, you can't save them all. But, you know, if, if somebody hears something I say today and it just saves one person, I think that's the objective I strive for you know, on, on a daily basis, you know, one person, you know, one
0: by one, you know. Yeah, I, I very much see that in you now, Mark. I've always seen that in you, although God knows we had many things in in our way in our past, whether it was, uh, <laughs> I'll just say it, whether it was drugs or, or chasing women or or perpetrating whatever kinds of craziness we did. I, I think I think us, you, always had that, that good deep core in you. And, and I've really seen it emerge lately. And in the conversations we've had, I, I know that you're being more and more of service in your life. And you are helping people. I know that. Our conversation we had the other day helped me, by the way. So thank you. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate well, that. I, you know what I want to get out of the way, though? I, I, I'm sure usually when you do interviews, people want to talk about mixed martial arts. And you probably get a lot of fan sure. types. You know, you, you are on the line, so I think we need to just address it for a minute. But then, I'll, but then we'll get onto the deep stuff. And guys out there, guys and girls, listeners, Mark, Mark and I, I think, are, are going to go deep today. Um, when I talk with people before interviews, I'll, I'll always, as a courtesy, well, it's, and it's sincere also, ask them, well, if I go somewhere that's not cool or not comfortable on the interview because we want to go deep, just let me know. And, and Mark said to me, and I paraphrase, so Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but, but Mark says, Rick, he goes, my, my, my new bane use, which essentially, guys, is synthetic heroin, he says, my new Bain use, my, my public masturbation, and the absolute volatility of my abusive relationship are all out there in the public. <laughs> where where can't yeah. I go? So I appreciate yeah. it.
1: And I'm going to come back and... It, it's, it's funny because, it, well, no, it's just funny because you, you know, it, 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 when all of that stuff started going down, you don't, you don't really realize at the, at the moment. Because, you know, my favorite saying to my 15 year old son is you can't see the forest through the trees, you know, because when you're in the middle of it, man, there's nothing that anybody could tell you uh, because you're so immersed in it that you you can't, you can't see what it's going to look like you know, 10 years down the road, five years down the road, and you can't see how many people it's going to reach and all this different stuff. So, yeah, I've been exposed, and, you know, I think the analogy is about masturbation. It's like talking about it in public. You know, when you're talking about addiction in any form, it's a pretty personal um, thing because I think it's just it's completely misunderstood. Um, and I think that's a lot of the bane of people's existence of where... They can't talk about it or they feel ashamed to talk about it because they think it's a weakness or they think it's, you know, some kind of moral compass is broke with them. And, and, and you know, why can't you just get it together? Why can't you just, you know, stop doing what you're doing? And and it's much, much deeper than that. So anyways.
0: Yeah. And you know, there there's there's a I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. There, there's a lot of people out there in a lot of pain now. And it it seems to be just increasing and increasing. And and I think shame, as you mentioned, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, component of that. And and that's why I think it's so good to to have you on and jumping right into this topic. We haven't even talked to any fun sex, drugs, and rock and roll stories yet. And who knows, we may not get there. Um, but we're we we're, we're, we're diving, we'll try. But we're we're diving right into, you know, what what you you've experienced in your life, and I, I have in mind and what so many people out there that are hurting over and are so ashamed about, and they're now listening to a guy in Mark Kerr, you know, known variably as the specimen, as as the smashing machine, who one time absolutely regarded to be the baddest man on this planet, and man, if he went through it. Maybe it's not so shameful that they are. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it, it it really does, and I think the, you know, when when all this was going on with me, it, you know, it hadn't turned into the epidemic it is now. It, it is, it is, it is so rampant um, with what the phar- pharmaceutical companies have done. Um, what's going on society-wise and all of this. I, I, I think statistically it's it's like three out of every 10 people have either a cousin, mother, father, brother, you know, classmate, co-worker, you know, somebody that's been affected by it. And, you know, I think the more that it's talked about, the more that, you um, People can see other people, you know, deal with it and triumphantly walk through it. You know, it gives them an opportunity to, to approach this. And this is just, you know, like when, when, the, when the movie came out, Rick, I, and I think I've told this story to you before, um, I, I, I didn't see a single clip. I didn't see one second of footage. So it's like a year and a half of me not knowing what's on film. And, and, you know, the director and the producer and everyone was like, oh, dude, this is going to be so great. It's going to be so great. And I had all of this anxiety over what was because I, I gave them carte blanche. I, I kind of had said, like, if you're going to tell the story, you know, let's let's get let's just do it. Right. And um, so the first time I ever watched the movie uh, was at the Dolby Sound Studios in California, and it was you know, like I, I, I
0: need to, I want to do something for a second if you don't mind and I'm horrible yeah, about yeah. I'm horrible about interrupting so apologies but no, you're I, good you're good I, I want to set this up a little bit and I I'll, I'll, if you don't remember I'll remind you exactly where we were at the premiere of the movie so for, for context out there I know that mark of course is talking about the the documentary the smashing machine and I'm certain most people that know you and follow you know that as well for, for people that may be uninitiated I, Mark, I want to try to explain with this machine. Obviously, a smash machine was one of your nicknames, but it was also the name of this yeah, documentary, yeah. which is an award-winning documentary. And if I'm if I'm not misstating, it essentially it introduces you at the top of your career when you're the number one mixed mixed martial arts heavyweight on this planet, and it chronicles your descent into this hellish addiction and implosion. Um, would yep. you say that's about right?
1: Yeah. It, it, it just, it, yeah. And there's, there's obviously you can, you, you can't make an eight hour movie, you know? So it, it encapsulated uh, these spots over about a year, maybe like 15 months um, from my 99 no contest with Volchanchin all the way through the Grand Prix and a little bit of stuff before and after. So yeah, it, it. Encapsulates this time frame where I was a number one ranked fighter in the world, um, where you know presumably I was you know the you know the prohibitive favorite to win this Grand Prix uh, that they had never done in Japan before. And it, and it really had some it had hoist gracie in it had sakuraba it had, had volchanchan had gary goodridge it had me it had vegeta i mean it was like a who's who at that time of either past stars that still had relevancy or up-and-coming stars who were just trying to make oh, it, it, it it was
0: absolutely the who's who and of course our good mutual friend mark coleman who, who went on to, mm-hmm. to, to win this thing yeah mark mm-hmm. that was an intense time in your life man i i I don't know how you are at timelines and remembering what happened at certain times in your life. I'm I'm okay with it. Sometimes I remember, sometimes I forget. Uh, if I don't know if you recall, but you and I and Tom Howard and Mark Coleman were all living up at that Sea Crest Apartments in San Clemente. It's the very beginning yeah. when, when production started on yeah. this thing. So I I yeah. got I don't know if I say the privilege or the pain of, of witnessing the beginning of this process and. Dude, it, it was something, and I definitely want to go into that a, a little bit, but let's go back to where I interrupted you. So now your, your fans know the movie The Smashing Machine. People that haven't seen it yet now have an idea what it is. So you're now in this theater. You haven't seen any of the movie. You've been on top of the world. Now you've got your demons. What, what the hell is your reaction seeing this unfold before your eyes the very first time?
1: Oh, my God, Rick. And still to this day, I can... You know if I close my eyes and I think of that moment, you know I get emotional. I, I genuinely get emotional. Um, you know, it's like one of those moments in my life where i I looked at it, and and the filmmakers were even watching the movie. They were watching me for my reaction to the different parts in the movie. And um, I was kind of cognizant of of that going on around me, and I'm watching the movie. And as it runs and gets over, the lights come on in the movie theater and I literally just stand, I remember I just popped up out of my seat and you know they're all asking me, what'd you think, what'd you think, what'd you think, what'd you think? And I couldn't even come up with a response. The only thing that i said to them is, literally, I remember looking at John Greenhouse because he, he's the guy that I was closest to of that group. And I remember looking at John going, I'm gonna have to get back with you, and I just walked out, and they were freaked out. Absolutely, I, they were I, more. I, f-
0: yeah, go on. I'm sorry. Go on.
1: They were more freaked out than I was, Rick, because because my reaction was just so like, oh my god, dude, like hang on a minute, you know, like time out. I I need like a, a genuine like time out, man. I was so overwhelmed. With what they had captured on film and how they put it together and the story that it told, um, it was it was it was hardcore.
0: So so apart from the craftsmanship of the movie, and and by the way, everybody, it's an amazing movie. And Mark, we can still watch it streaming. Is that right? Even today?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can on still Netflix. watch it. I think next year next year they're going to repackage it and reintroduce it to the next batch of people that really hadn't had the opportunity to see it.
0: Okay, okay. So this is The Smashing Machine. It's an exceptionally well-made movie, but you know, again, the craftsmanship aside, let, let's get to the story. Do you remember when you stood up in that theater... What what were you feeling? Were you proud that you got it out? Were you embarrassed and ashamed? Was it somewhere in the middle? What 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 were your feelings? It, feeling it
1: was it, it was shame. It was like I looked at it and I just I, I I was like I like a I can't believe I let them have that much access to my life. You know, b I can't believe I'm i like watching myself do what I was doing on film and and just like. You know, like, wow, I, you know, and, and again, it goes back to this stupid analogy that I keep saying. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like getting up in front of a crowd of people and talking about how you, you know, rub your dick. You know, it's like I jerk it a little to the left or a little to the right. And then I like this and I use this lube and, you know, it's that personal of, of, of a story and, and, and it literally, Rick, I, I, you know, I, here's, here's how they calm me down Prior to me seeing it, they said, Hey, Mark, we want your input. If there's something in there that's so objectable, we'll give you the ability to say, no, you need to take that out, or you need to take that out. And so they gave me that kind of feeling of like I had some kind of objectivity to it where I can, you know, have some kind of input to the creative process that it wasn't just going to be me and me on an Island by myself that I can go, no, 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 guys, you need to figure out how to rework this part of the story. I don't want that out. So, um, I literally got my car and (laughs) you remember the, the the car phones that you used to have like uh, like built into your car.
0: Yeah, connected to the big uh, rubbery cord. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had a car phone. I had a car phone. And uh, John Greenheld had my number. And I remember leaving the parking garage and starting to drive, and my car phone rings. And it's, it's, um, hang on, let let me dump this here. Sorry, Rich. No problem. And so, um, I had, uh, he calls me and he goes, are you okay? And I, and I literally said, Hey, I, I, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I said, I, I honestly don't know. And, uh, I remember at the time I was, you know, working somewhat of a good program and, you know, I called my sponsor and I talked to him afterward and, you know, I just tried to work my way through it. And, um, you know, the re- you know, the, the short part of the story is in the rest is history. Cause I, you know, I called them back a couple, it took me a couple days to process it. And, and I remember calling them back and I said, okay. And they're like, okay, okay, okay what? And I said, okay, it's go ahead. You know, you Would guys, you so- I tried what was your motivation for
0: saying, "Okay, go with"? Okay, so you you watched the movie. Your your dominant emotion was shame. Yet two days later, you're saying, "Okay, go, go ahead with it." What what was your rationale for for saying that? If you felt about it the way you felt about it,
1: the Were people are going to learn from it. Well, the the space that I eventually landed in, Rick, was. It was to the point where, you know, talking to people in recovery and all of that, their their whole point was, Mark, if your movie, if somebody watching that and they could see it and see the struggles you went through and see that you made it out through the other side of it and you're okay and life is good, then that's what you need to do. You need to you need to create a space where somebody who is, you know, this dude that works at a power plant that, you know, he got he got in an accident and now he's taking Viking in every day and, and he can't figure out how to get out of the situation he's in. He's pops open and watches your movie one night. And if he's the baddest dude on the planet, is Dealing with addiction. What do you think that's going to do for him? So that, res- that resonated help? with you. Yeah, way, way, yeah. Way, way
0: back then. So let me let me jump. Yeah. in. this is something I would normally do toward the end, but I think it's important now. Um, so all these years later, we're we're almost two decades later. You're not only are you not only are you sober. You're you're a devoted father, and I want to talk about more more about that later. You're you're very. Focused on being of service, I, I really got that when we spoke last time. So you, you're you're you are absolutely sober, and your 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 sobriety is very important to you. How long yeah. after you got that phone call when you or when you made the phone call, saying okay, show it, let's go with it. This might help people. From that time on, how how long did it take till the t- you're at the point where you would consider yourself sober?
1: Wow. <laughs> So, yeah, and there's a reason I'm asking. Kind of, I'm asking. I'm i ask yeah, a really hard yeah. question in a minute.
0: But but was it was yeah. it happening right then, or was there still a bunch of No bunch of time no in no? Right. So when you said go for it, people said so, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mark. Please. No no no. You're
1: good. You're good, Rick. It's um. Gosh, man, it, it took a while. And, and and I'll explain it like this. So so all of this happened in the late 90s, 2000, 2001. That's kind of the time frame for the movie being shot, the movie getting cut into a movie, it getting accepted. Um, you know, 9-11 happened. Uh, you know, all of this stuff happened in life. And, and, and you know, the, the film crew was largely based out of New York City, Um, so that delayed it. Um, they were in a building that, that Simon and Garfunkel had their recording studios in and, and anthrax was there. So the film, you know, so, so anyways, so I didn't get it and I didn't get it and understand what it is. And, and, you know, people that are in recovery will completely understand this. I didn't understand how spiritually sick I was. Like when when you don't have a, a concept of like of what your sickness is, you have no idea how to treat it. Right? So well, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, you, you're,
0: you're really getting me started now. Yes, of course. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely. Well Okay, so sad. so you 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 have you had cancer, right, Rick?
0: I did. I had stage four quote unquote terminal cancer for three years, yes.
1: Okay. So, so if you didn't, if you, if you got, if you thought you had diabetes and you, you're trying to treat your cancer with taking insulin, you, you wouldn't be here. And that's kind of the whole, whole idea. I didn't understand how broken I was as an individual, how spiritually sick I was. And it just, it, it led to this long, long journey to where finally, finally, um, you know, I've been sober, sober, like how it says it in the book, not like I don't drink anymore, but I smoke pot on Fridays and Saturdays. You know, I, you know, I'm sober, but I take like it in only, only, only when my foot hurts, you know, or something. So I've been sober for, for coming up on three years. I've been sober off of opiates for a long time, for over 10 years. Uh, oh, you, part you, of you my got
0: you me by seven years. So that's good. All right. Good. Okay, so
1: so part of my downfall was um, I thought it was, you know, going to be perfectly fine if I sat and drank, you know, a couple glasses of wine every night, and, you know, it's good for my cholesterol and all this other stuff that we tell ourselves, and, um, you know, just turn into this long, long, you know, alcohol is one of those things where alcohol is a slow killer. You know, it it really is. For somebody that's an addict or an alcoholic, you know, you you can function, be a highly functioning alcoholic for a long period of time. For you God. know, if you're if you're shooting if you're shooting dope every day, forget it, man. That stuff will bring you down quick. If you're shooting yeah, yeah. meth, yeah. if yeah. you're shooting coke, if, you know what I mean, Rick. So alcohol just it it was this long. Well, and afraid kind of where it,
0: I, I. But also the way that the way that you did it, you know, I, I have all, Even though you and I have had our ups and downs through the years, I have all these fond memories. And w- one of them is visiting with you on occasion in in Arizona, the Phoenix Scottsdale area where you live. And one thing I remember is I was married to Gabrielle at the time. If you remember Gabrielle, and we yeah. would we'd come out and visit you and Dawn. And I remember we'd go out to dinner or whatnot. And and everybody out there, I want you to picture this machine. The specimen, the the you know the toughest man on this planet, and I'll tell you, I want to tell you what this guy cared about back then. Mark, I'm sorry, I probably gonna embarrass you a little bit. This guy cared about how perfectly tailored his very expensive designer threads were. He carried, <laughs> care, he cared about the beautiful new Spanish tile he was having his home decorated with. I'll never forget this. Yeah, tile. yeah. And, and he cared about ordering really good red wine in restaurants. You were something of a yeah. connoisseur, man. So you weren't you weren't the guy that was out in the alley pounding Jack Daniels. So no, uh, no, no. It's a slow. Yeah, you you were um you, you were when I said contradiction in terms up front during the introduction. Like Mark Coleman, God love Mark. He's one of my favorite people on this planet. For for best friends, the the marks as I always called you guys. You guys couldn't be more different. Mark is he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's everything you think the toughest guy on the planet would be. Dude, you were the opposite, and that's one of the many things I always found so fascinating about you, and one of the reasons I loved you so much. Um, it was, it was just different. So you you're not drinking. You don't drink alcohol at all these days. Then that's that's over. No,
1: no, no. Okay. No, and this was you know my first my first real attempt with. Getting sober and really trying to do it was when I found out um, I was going to be a dad, and uh, this was 2004. And um, you know, I had I was married to Dawn, and we didn't have protected sex. She wasn't on the pill. We kind of set some time frame aside for her to try to get pregnant, and it just never happened. And, and it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, it wasn't for lack of trying, but it just, it never happened. And so, um, we had kind of just shelved it and we, we were on a, on a very slippery slope. So we were looking at getting a complete divorce from each other. And, uh, I went over and fought in Japan. And when I got home, um, I thought that I was going to be a dad. So that was like January of 2004. My son was born September 24th of 2004. And mm-hmm. I I was like, I was going to be that dude. I was going to be like this dude that was a baseball coach and a wrestling coach. And, you know, you know Dawn can say a lot of things about me, but she, the one thing she can't say is when she was pregnant, I was attentive. I was nurturing. I was loving. I was everything that she ever wanted me to be. I, I was, cause I was just so excited to be a dad. And, uh, part of that, part of what she had asked me to do was to stop fighting. She was 39 when she got pregnant and it was a little bit higher risk because of her age. And, uh, there was always a, a risk of a miscarriage because of her age and because of her history. And so, um, she said, would you find, would you, be willing to find something else to do for a living because it really just stressed her out me fighting. And I said, yeah. And I went and did what I needed to do to make a living. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a super, super cool part of my life was that time frame. And then um, after my son was born, I, you know, we got a full fledged divorce and uh, you know, I think she had postpartum. And suffered from that, and she started drinking again, and that kind of, you know, we, you know, it's a, it's a long history. It's like twenty four yeah. years with the same person. <laughs> yeah,
0: you guys have had a lot of history, and a lot of it's been public. Also, you, you, you've always, you, you've never, you've never hidden, and and I think that's important. Um, and that go, that goes back to shame or not being ashamed, and, you know, I, I, I want to preach at, at our listeners for a moment, and I hope you'll you'll join me in, in the sermon, but I, I want to ask you another hard question or two first. So uh, at the premiere, I'm going to go back to the premiere, you were told that you could have a big influence on people. And to me, it sounds like those were your first thoughts about being sober. Now, years yeah. later, not long later, but you're, you're going to be a father. And you thought that would be a good reason, a good motivation to be sober. Yeah. And I agree with you. They're both great motivations. And, and here's what I want to challenge you with before we go preach out our, our poor listeners here. Um, it, it's this. There's, there's a, a saying I've heard a lot from a recent girlfriend who who I had a, a not awesome breakup with. Things, things that remain from that are her often saying, when it goes from your head to your heart. And it sounds to me like when you were told at the premiere you can make a difference in people's lives, that I mean it's it's an it's a play to ego for sure, and I'm not accusing you of having sure. ego about it, but, but how could you not? You're like, oh wow, how cool am I? I can help people with my story, but you know whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to get started. Oh, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a child, so I should be a certain way. What what I want to ask you is, at, do you remember when that shift took place where you stopped? intellectualizing why you should be a solid citizen and just became it because you felt
1: it? Um, you know, I think even, even kind of piggybacking off what you're saying is that, you know, the big real realization for for me personally was that I couldn't, like my sobriety couldn't be based upon a thing. It couldn't be because I can influence somebody. It couldn't be because I'm going to be a dad. It couldn't be because I want a relationship to work. You know, it couldn't be because I'm going to lose my job. It had to be because, because I, me, I decided that, that it is something I needed to do, that I had to do for, for myself. It wasn't contingent upon any kind of condition. Um, an ancillary benefit from it is, yeah. Hey, people can look at him and go, "Oh my God, look at him! He's sober." If the toughest demon in the world could be knocked down by addiction, well, why can't I fight it? You know that—that's the benefit of it. But you know the the part where I, where I stopped intellectualizing it is is just a simple fact that nobody else is going to do the work for me. I, I can't, you know, I can't sit and think. You know, all these different thoughts about it. It's just something that I had to do because I wanted, you know, it sounds really weird. I wanted the benefits of it. You know, I wanted to have better relationships. I wanted to have, you know, all these things that come with it, but it still has to lie within just me. Like, I have to do it because of me. And if, I, if I'm if i sober because of me, you know, it has a tendency, bad shit still happens, But I but I deal with it. You well, know, good shit still happens and I deal with it, you know, so, you know, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's really about it, Rick. It's like, it's a, you have to, I have to be a grown up. I actually have to, you know, be a grown up about it and just, you know, it's an incredible journey.
0: That's going to sound like a really lame beginner level question. Are, are you, these days, are you happy when you wake up in the morning?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like anything else, like anything else, you know, you know, certain things in my life could be better, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't unhinge me. It doesn't, you know. I'm telling you, if there's one person that could kind of roll with the punches right now, you know, it's me, you know, because it's, you know, I I could wish for more money in the bank, or I could, you know, go out there. I hear you, but you. You know what you're talking about. And I'm
0: so I'm so on your bandwagon. I, I had my weekly therapy session today with uh, with good old Doctor Dave, and it here's we were talking about exactly what you're talking about right now. And then and, and now we can segue into the the preaching portion before we tell some good uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll stories, um, <laughs> which is usually the reverse order of the way we do things here. on talking tough, but I like the way this is going. This is cool. Um, we we talked about you know certain. Attitude versus circumstances. That, that was a the theme of, of our discussion today. Because, Mark, you mentioned a few minutes back about a time when you were spiritually sick. And, you know, we've talked a lot about um, addiction and sobriety on this interview. And, and there's a lot of people out there that are just plain beaten up on and depressed. Where substance use isn't even part of the equation, and you, you know as well as I do because you brought it up about about being spiritually sick at one point that if you go into these rooms, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Overeater, whatever the A is, you, you always hear that you know whatever whatever the affliction is, alcohol, narcotics are but a symptom of the larger problem, and you know there there are plenty of spiritually sick sober people out there I'm sure you see them oh, when yeah. they go to uh, the rooms. and and what, what I'm hearing from you is you've you've gotten to a point in your life blessedly as, as I feel I don't want to say I've gotten there but I, I believe I'm well on my way because I understand it now to a degree is that it really doesn't matter what the fuck is happening around you it doesn't it's a circumstance circumstances go up circumstances go down it's how you it's how you deal with it and i I think if you force yourself at first if that's if that's all you can do hopefully with any luck over time it'll it'll become habit and from everything i hear you saying it it sounds like you're in the habit of having a positive attitude now i don't states it really simply but does that sound right
1: yeah yeah you know it's it's um it's 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 taken a lot of work to get in a space where where I you know, where I can look at something and try to be objective about it and, and, and understand that it's 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 not gonna shift me off of like my center. You know, it's like I don't, you know, like I don't want my highs to be too high and my lows to be too low because that that's an addiction as well. You know, like as a fighter, you know, I, you get off on, you know, getting in an arena and, you know, feeling the adrenaline and, you know, all these different things that, that, you know, are part of the reason why I kept fighting. And, you know, a lot of people um, in the fighting world, you know, that, that starts some of the addiction process. So, you know, I try to stay as, as even keeled as I can. You know, you can ask my 15-year-old son, I don't yell. I'm just, I don't yell. You know, when I yell, it's like once a year, and, you know, I mean it at that point. You know, like, I fucking mean it. You know, so I try to stay as even keel as possible because life is going to happen regardless you know, if, if I get pissed and angry and upset and all of this, it's not going to change it. You know, I, I tell my son, I I go, you know, look at a rock and yell at it. Did it did it move? No, <laughs> it, it didn't move. Right? Yeah, it, you know, who did it hurt? Need, it didn't it, hurt the rock. The right. yeller. <laughs> yeah. It's, so so you know, if you want the rock to move, you know, pick it up and move it. It takes action. You know, so if something's going wrong in your life, it takes action to get you out of it. Yelling, screaming, getting upset. You know, yeah, I get emotional, you know, but I get emotional that's a little, more, little bit more even keel and a little bit more in alignment with what's going on, that I can look at something, you know, and go, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll figure it out. I just need, you know, and I said this to you the other day. I said, you know, my whole game plan is I'm just going to do the next right thing. Whatever that is, I'm just going to do the next right thing. I, it doesn't matter what it is. Pick the phone up, get to a meeting, talk to a sponsor, talk to a sponsor help somebody out, let somebody in in traffic. You know, I, whatever it is, it's the simplicity of just the next right thing. You know, my son needs help, I'm going to help him. He's hungry, I'm going to feed him. You know, so all these different things work, and it, it, it helps because otherwise life, Life itself is a bully. It'll it'll pick on anybody that allows life to pick on them.
0: Well, you know, you look at I like, hate like, um, like look at um yeah oh god yeah I know I know you do you've always been a protector for sure like the one time you graciously picked me up and carried me out of a party after I overdosed on ecstasy I appreciate that by the way if I never told <laughs> um, so, so thank thank you for that um, but uh, you know you you you're giving some really really what I would call great advice and and there are two things that you said I want to focus on everything but there are two things in particular I want to call out do the next right thing and and take action and you know b- before expounding on that I, I hope you don't mind me doing this Pete so guys we, we have Mark Kerr on and here's a guy who was on the top of the world at one point and I know Mark I think sometimes these are when the listeners might go well, well yeah you know they might be on the top of the world, but, but I'll never be there. Guys, that's not the point because you look at, you know, just last year or the year before with Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade in the space of 24 hours killed themselves, two of the richest, yeah. best, most successful people on the planet. So that, that the, the external doesn't matter. This is Mark Kerr who was the toughest man on the planet and had it all and when he fell, man, he, he fell hard. Mark, you were seriously addicted to drugs. You were extremely depressed. You were in a horrible relationship. And I hope I'm not depressing you by listing all this together. No. I'm, no. I'm, I'm, uh-uh. I'm making a point here. Here's a guy now who all the – although you do have something pretty spectacular that happened in your life recently that's high profile – Apart from that, you're living, by all accounts, a very normal, very accountable life. That sounds like you've got your head in a really good place. And so I want to go back to the people out there who are listening and saying, if you're suffering, if you're depressed, if you're addicted, Mark, you've already given the advice, I think, it's take action. And anybody, anybody out there has the ability to do that. And I, I don't know if I told you, but you know, I moved here to Maui two years ago and I had a hellacious three years before that, homelessness and addiction and double kidney failure and, and spinal infections that almost killed me and, and losing the, the rest of my family members. It was just one thing after the other. And by sheer willpower, I managed to save enough money to get me and my dogs over to Maui. And I got to this house. It looked like the first stable house we were going to have in maybe eight, nine years with all the homelessness and the moving around and being kicked out of places. And I'm looking at this beautiful view. I'm up here with my four pit bulls. And I want to turn to them and go, guys and girls, my dogs, because I talk to my dogs like I'm crazy. And say, oh, my God, we're so grateful. We're so blessed. But, Mark, instead, with all this beauty surrounding me, man, I crashed and burned. And I have, a, I have a Glock 9 that I keep. And if, if my dogs weren't here, I'm sure as I'm sitting here, I would have eaten my gun. I'm sure of it. And I, oh, yeah. sat, on, dude, I sat on the floor in my living room for like a month. And, you know, thank God I had about 20 bucks left at that point after I got here because it was enough to pay for a Netflix subscription. And dude, all I did, <laughs> that's all I did, man, is I watched freaking Netflix. Wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Wow. And and something hit me one day. I'm like, if I don't get my ass off of the floor and do something, anything, it it's over. And it was it's just no way to live. And I, I was I was luckily able to get county assistance to get a therapist who then suggested wow. assisted, I go to wow. AA. And I'm not an AA guy, it's yeah. not my thing. I'm not gonna push it or preach it, but oh I'm so sorry. I didn't realize my phone was so on turning that off. Uh it, it was uh You know, it was, it allowed me to get to a point where I I took action and it was a slow, slow, long process. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I, what I like to say, and this is why I asked if you would join me in the sermon here. What I like to tell people out there is no matter how far down you are or how far down you think you are, there's always something that you can do. Always. So whether it's. Yeah,
1: it's. it's, you Go know, ahead. I hadn't realized, I hadn't realized all of that, till You just did your, your mini biography there. I um, know. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. It's your it's No, no, I, did, right? I didn't. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. I, I hadn't realized all that. You know, you know, it's even, you know, it's even more like, a, like about it, Rick, um, you know, even for the simple fact is, is, you know, if you're dealing with something and you're suffering with something, tell one person. Talk to one person. You know, I, I think um, along the same lines. Part of, you know, part of what was eye-opening for me was uh, last year um, I took my son to talk to somebody, and you know, as a parent, as a parent sitting there, and your son has a level of honesty with what's going on with him uh, to another person. It was, it was, it was eye-opening. You know, it was eye opening, and and you know the first anger for me personally was you know like like I had been asleep at the wheel like where where was I you know and, and I didn't have to ask too many questions of where was I I was you know on the bottom of a of a glass of wine you know just kind of asleep at the switch and um, you know it's just it's amazing when you start the journey you know you never know. Uh, my son said it to me, you know, a couple months ago. He, he had said, uh, you know, do you think this, do you think, and we'll get into, you know, what happened to me uh, with, with DJ. Um, you know, he goes, do you think this would happen if you were still, you know, drinking? And I was like, no. Like, none of it. Not, none of it. <laughs> you
0: know? So, so you, you know. You, you, yes, go ahead. Sorry. I have the questions on that. Oh no.
1: No, it's just, um, we'll, we'll get to a point where we, where we can talk about it, where you, you, I'll let you talk about it and then I'll expand upon it.
0: Well, you, you dropped some initials a moment ago. Is, is We both know what you're talking about. Is that for public consumption at this point?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, there's it's, been enough of it. right?
0: Okay, good, good. Yeah. So, yep. Mark, Mark, Mark Kerr, who fell all the way to the bottom, Oh, by the way, and I'm not going to give you my whole biography again, but I, I want to make a point. It's like I, I wake up every day happy now and I have so much cool, exciting stuff in my life. And it's only because, man, uh, it's like I talked to you two years ago now and took your advice about taking action and doing the next right thing. And that's all there is to it, man. It's amazing how, how life can come back and unfold. And not only that, put you in a better place, I think, than you've ever been before once you're conscious of making that kind of change. and And I'm so glad that's that's happened with you and because of that things are are happening for you now so you you made this movie years ago that you you felt shame when you saw called the smashing machine a documentary and now 20 years later there is a movie a major motion picture that is going to go into production before long on your life and there's like Man, it's like this very minor, minor movie star. Maybe no one's ever heard of before, but
1: he, <laughs> he came
0: to you. And he, he came to you, and he's going to play your part, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, 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 it's amazing because you would know this because you've dealt with Hollywood a lot more than, than I ever have. Um, so I, I did a call at the end of. Well, it's not quite the end. It's it's like probably june of last year from a guy named brad slater um who is dwayne johnson's agent and everyone around him apparently i had to get educated on this called him dj so he's not the rock he's not the brahma bull he's not he's dj so i get a call from dj's um agent and says hey this is this is kind of what what I was thinking, and this is what DJ was thinking, and do you know who owns the rights? Because um, I had sold the rights. I had parceled those out years ago, and I said, you can start here. And, and understanding that sometimes how it would take time to get stuff done, it doesn't happen overnight. I thought it would be, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months before um, any of the movie rights and life rights and all the different rights that have to be secured, um, in order to move forward with the project, I thought it would take a lot longer. And so it was about three months, um, three months, Brad had tracked down the guy that owned the rights. It was an Israeli gentleman. And, um, he had called me up and said, Hey, we secured the rights. Uh, we just, we have a verbal agreement in place. um, and uh we're gonna make the announcement in madison square garden uh coming up um coming up in the next you know like two days and it was like holy shit (laughs) like wow that's a, well, you know, Brad, Brad
0: Slater, of course, as you, as you know now, is one of the true super agents of Hollywood, and oh you know, you're, god, you're, man, you're, I had no idea. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's one of the guys, absolutely, and you're and you're dealing with you know with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, DJ. You're, you're dealing with the, the upper one-tenth of 1% of the A-list, as you know. is the number one movie star in yeah, the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also
0: a good producer. He and Brian – you probably know Brian Giewertz now. These guys are and, – and, and DJ's ex-wife, Danny, they're all very good season yeah, yeah, When they set their mind to something, man, they make shit happen. And uh,
1: so it, you're – you're, it's, it's, about- ama- it's amazing. It's amazing, Rick. Like, not even – not even thinking about it, but going, well, I bet, I better do some reading to figure out, you know, some stuff. And it's like, my God, man, I'm excited that if I open up a cereal box, that DJ's going to pop out. You know, he's so visible right now.
0: Oh, he, he's the guy. Okay, I got to ask you this, man, before we get back to serious stuff. have you and uh, Have you and DJ been in a ring or a cage together yet?
1: <laughs> no, not not yet. But I, but I'm guaranteed I'm gonna be hired as a consultant for for the movie. That much I, mean, I get, that much he, at least I know.
0: He's a fucking animal man. He's gonna want to test you. You know that, right?
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, God, um, man. It's just th- thinking about like you know watching some of the stuff that he did in the ring. Like he's he's not he's no chump man. I mean he is absolutely legit. And looking at him now, going oh my god, man, I think he's in better shape than when he's actually in the ring every night.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. He he's he's at the top of his game for sure. And as you probably know, there's another guy who was at the bottom. I mean, quite literally, with not a penny in his pocket, sleep sleeping on tenement floors, trying to get by on a can of tuna when he was lucky. So it, it's uh, I'm sure you know the story by now. And oh, it, it, yeah. oh
1: yeah,
0: It's amazing how, how people can rise. And, and okay, so speaking of that rise, you're you're about to be back in the spotlight in a very very major way again. Just like you were at the top when when you were the king in Japan, when you were the king of UFC. Um, you got an ungodly amount of money as a first time pro wrestler ever in Japan, just about more than anybody. I oh, know um, that was that was that crazy. Was I that. So. <laughs> So you're you're about to be back there, man. What's going to be different this time than last?
1: Uh, you know, there's I have accountability with with what I do as far as recovery. Um, I have a routine that that I do. Um, you know, there's you know part part of what I do understand is there's no guarantee. There, there's absolutely no guarantee about about anything. You know, there's no guarantee I'm going to wake up tomorrow. There's no guarantee. But I, I can I can put some insurance policies in place that, you know, if things happen, you know, I have, you know, this and this and this. You know, I, I have a program that I work and I put effort into, and, and it's deliberate. It's intentional. You know, it's something I do every day. And, you know, I know that when things kind of get sideways or things get stressed, you know, I, I know what to do and it seems to work, you know. And, and part of it too, Rick, like, is that first year, I mean, I, some, sometimes, and I call it the it, like when, you, when people understand about alcohol, um, alcoholism, um, it's an allergy. An allergy, it, it creates a phenomenon of craving in your body. And that phenomenon of craving, I call that the it. So when you have it on you, unless you're working a program of recovery, the only way that you can get it off of your back is to go drink. That's the only way you can get the obsession off your back, is to feed the obsession. So when you're when you're out there, you know, the, the part about my recovery is I haven't had it on my back in a long time. Uh, but, you know, there's moments where I just need to get through the next five minutes. I need to get through the next 10. I need to get through the next hour. I need to get through the next two hours. You know, I some, some days at the beginning, I had to break it down minute by minute by minute by minute by minute. And all of a sudden, you know, it's at the end of the day. And I didn't do anything stupid, and I didn't pick up any alcohol, and I didn't take any pills, or I didn't jam a needle in my arm, you know. And so, you know, there's parts about it now where I understand, um, you know, as part of my program of recovery that that there's certain things that I can take, which is no guarantee, but I can definitely hedge a bet that I'm going to stay sober for that day if I do X, Y, and Z. So you're,
0: you're talking about a program, and again, you're talking about taking action, do, doing the next right thing. And, you know, that Talking Tough initially was supposed to be a lot about storytelling, but it was also supposed to be about maybe <laughs> giving, giving some hope. And, you know, if, if someone, anybody out there, w- whether you're addicted or not, if you're down, if you're depressed, just find something to do, anything, and not everything costs money, right? There's, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm, going, hey. I'm going to... I'm going to a thing this weekend. It's a camp, an honest to goodness, like summer camp. I'm going for the weekend, and it was called the Mankind Project Initiation. So I'm going to this initiation, and it's 90 guys at a summer camp that are there to channel their inner warriors through fellowship with men and getting in touch with our feelings. That, I'm sure, sounds like a, a barrel of monkeys, huh? Um, but, you know, <laughs> You know, thankfully, I'm in the position now where, you know, I I can pay the $450 to go to this thing. I would not have been there a year and a half ago, as pathetic as that sounds, for a guy who had what I had at one point. Uh, But I I know for a fact that they were offering scholarships this weekend for people that couldn't afford to go. And there's my my point of this, man, if if you're out there listening and and something's going wrong and you're hurting pick, pick up, oh, There's no yellow pages anymore. There's just like, there's no car phones anymore that you brought up earlier.
1: I know. <laughs> go,
0: go online and just picture, just pick up, um, or do a search for, you know, getting help. And it's amazing what one phone call or one outreach can set you on the path of, and, and it, it very much sounds like, you know, through, through your program and all else you're doing, that's that you're, you're on a firm path, man. And I'll tell you, I, I'm not, I, I, for one, I'm not worried about this Master Machine Part Two, and that's nice to be able to say that.
1: I know, right? I mean, it's you know, it's taken a lot of you know, of, you know, unfortunately, but fortunately, it's taken a lot of a trial and error, you know, and and uh, you know, there's there's been like Mark's program of recovery, and then there's been like AA's program of recovery, you know. Every time it's Mark's program of recovery, I seem to fail, you know. Every time that I kind of go, okay, so I'm just going to do what the person before me did, and the person before him did, and they're going to follow this outline, the first 164 pages of the book, and look at, you know, I mean, so the, there's there's things that you can do, and it, it's it was a lot of trial and error, Rick, and, and it's taken it's taken what it's taken to get to this point, you know, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I have so much to live for. I have a really good relationship with my my 15-year-old son got out in the car. He's sitting next to me right now. Um, you know, I have a good relationship with him. You know, I have opportunity in front of me. You know, I have a roof over my head. I have food in the fridge, you know, and sometimes it's that simple. You know, obviously you would know what, what it's like to not have a roof over your head. You know, it's like the... I can't even imagine what the frustration must be to try to get from that to where you have secured housing.
0: Oh yeah, oh I do I I, I do know that feeling. Yeah, it, it it's a sad place to be. Um, uh, something you just said makes me want to ask you a question, and it's a loaded question for sure. What what makes you more excited these days? Going to pick your kid up at practice, or being the being the figure in a movie that the number one movie star in the world is going to play. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, it's picking it's my son up, you know. There's 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 this inherent, you know. Um, you know, I always looked at it like until you have a kid, you know you you know. For me personally, I never knew to the extent of how selfish I was. And it sounds silly to say it like this, but when you have a kid, the first time I ever gave my son my last piece of bacon is when I knew I had found true love. You know, that that's, goes, that's it, awesome. Yeah, you know, it's this feeling of like, you know, what did I, what, what did I do with all my time prior to having a kid? Like, well, no, you, know, you probably, you busy. probably were
0: busy fulfilling your own selfishness, as you indicated. Yeah, you know. absolutely,
1: so, absolutely with, man. With,
0: with the Spanish tiles and the nice red wine and the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to segue into some storytelling for a second, because I, I know we're getting close to our hour here, and you have to go. Um, do you, did I ever tell you the story about the time you almost got gave poor Michael Braverman a heart attack in Las Vegas?
1: I don't did think you, so.
0: Oh, this is good. I just want to say this to, to entertain, hope, hopefully entertain our listeners and maybe entertain you a little bit as well. Um, if you remember back in the days when, when you were under contract to Pride, I, I had negotiated what I think was your second contract there. And you had admittedly, been going through all of the large sums of money that they have paid you, so we came up with a novel idea. If you remember, to have them pay you your annual contract in monthly installments. Does this sound yep. familiar? Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was the best thing that ever happened to me.
0: Right. Well, until you until you spent your monthly installments, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: But, of course.
0: <laughs> right. So, in any case, if if you remember, you we it was a nice figure monthly too, but um, mm-hmm. you you found yourself out of money. And if you remember, you, you you absolutely were, without question, one of the most intellectual and most intelligent guys I've dealt with in the MMA or or, or wrestling worlds as a talent. Um, but you oftentimes in those days, I think, and I hope you don't get pissed at me for saying this, I don't think you will, but you, you oftentimes no. would, would be too smart for your own good. So if you remember, when you mm-hmm. needed money, you'd pick the phone up and call the Pride office yourself. And- yep. you you went back and tried to renegotiate your contract after myself and Michael Braverman and Barry Bloom had done a pretty, pretty nice deal on, on what your agreement was. So you pride did not give in. So you decided you would hold them up for a little bit and, and not fulfill your side of the deal for a couple of months and they stopped paying you. So they were able at a K one show in Vegas. Everybody from UFC was there. Everybody from K it was like the who's who of the, the MMA and Funny world at that. Oh time.
1: yeah! Oh well,
0: yeah! And then and there's a hell of a trip out to Olympic Gardens Trip Club later that night with Shamrock and Tank and and uh, Oh yeah! And Bob Ritten and everybody else. That's all another story. Um, But uh, <laughs> we we were able to get the Pride guys. If you you remember them, of course, Yukino and Kabara. Oh basketball. yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, well, Mike yeah kawasaki right we, we were able to get them to agree to meet with us up in their suite because we had thought we would got stuff solved and they were going to pay off the two, two months they were late paying you on so we, michael braver and i went up to the suite Sakagabara gabara poured us some very nice scotch <laughs> two guys walked around the sofa got behind us i swear to god man i am not making this up there were little fingers missing on both guys and oh Michael, yeah! <laughs> Michael Braverman turned to me and said, "You realize that Mark heard just got us killed, right?" And I said, no, no, I said, "I think you're being a little dramatic, man." Well, in, in any case, he, he popped open the big briefcase, counted out your pay, and what, well, I remember one of the few arguments I remember having with you was we went down to tell you it was all solved. You wanted, you wanted me to hand you all the money in cash, and yeah. Uh, I didn't do that, which probably was good. Uh, anyways, it was
1: man, you you were, you were a fun one to deal with back in the day, that, that's for sure. But, but I, no I, dude, it's it's funny because there there was uh, Mr. Zhaka, uh, who was the owner behind the scenes of, of Dream Stage. Yep. He I would jo- I would joke with people, I'd go, he never opened his own door. He never cooked his own food like with Korean barbecue. Never cooked his own food. Never poured his own beer. And he hung out with a lot of guys with missing fingers. Yeah. So we he were, was. It was just. It was crazy because I didn't understand that. Like, like I've done this before. Like I've gone out to strip clubs in Japan with uh, Mr. Shaka, and partied hung out he's bought lap dances he's bought Dom Perry on all of this right and that's one aspect of dealing with him but when it comes to business he is it's completely different like like I didn't understand it at first that you can party with the dudes but if you're sitting down talking a contract it's a completely different person you're dealing with Oh, completely different absolutely. you know I, I've
0: always said man and I know I know you know this because you you travel the world you were the top guy in Brazil you're the top guy in Abu Dhabi I've always in, in the fighting business and the wrestling business it, it tends to attract um how shall we say it lobsters <laughs> however you want to say it yeah and yeah I, I, I've always said man that some of the greatest people in the world to hang out with just don't mess with their business otherwise <laughs> oh <laughs> and, God, God man
1: it's it's, it it, literally rick it was probably one of the harder lessons to learn because you know because dealing dealing with different cultures they have a completely different way of 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 understand you know a business and it was one where like the night before like i refused in japan i refused to take payment for something. And basically, it was Mr. Xhaka looking at me. And a week before that, we had partied, hung out, had drinks, had lap dances together. And he basically looked at me and he's like, If you don't take the money, you're never going to work in Japan again.
0: Well, that's insulting. And, and, and literally, park. you didn't know that. Yes.
1: Right? Yes. Yep. yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's
0: it's like you know, it's like going on a pro wrestling tour there with with a group full of three hundred pound guys. If, if if you don't let the, you don't let the ninety pound female uh, clerk carry your hundred pound suitcase, you're insulting her. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a different culture it's, for sure.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Crazy because it took it took it took a lot. Unfortunately, you know what the other part about Japan, which was amazing. Like, you didn't know you broke some rules until you broke your rule. Like, they have so many implied rules there about culture and about business and about everything. So, like, you don't know you broke it until, like, oh, shit, dude, you shouldn't have did that. Like, I went up and Mr. Ishii, who's K1, who you know, like, I I went up and talked, I went up and complained to him about something, and I didn't understand that it should have started with like eight guys below him. Like before he ever heard anything out of my mouth, the lowest guy on the totem pole was directly correlated with me. He had to get it resolved. If he couldn't get it resolved, he talked to his boss. If his boss couldn't get it resolved, he talked to his boss and so on and so forth. Like me to go to Mr. Ishii and complain about something was like, dude, you're like, no, you don't. You don't do that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so less, shit like that, I... Yeah. Lessons learned in the travels, huh? Well, well, oh, I'm, my
1: gosh, man. I'm
0: going to ask you some fan questions real quickly because we're, we're going to run out of time, and I just got to throw these out there. So you you won, you won the, the heavyweight tournament in Abu Dhabi for submissions, which was amazing. You yep, were yep, the, UFC, yep. you're the, you're the UFC heavyweight champion. You were on top yep. at Pride. Who, who in those days did you not fight that would have been your best fight?
1: Ooh, man. You know what? Everyone says Coleman, and I, I think in some regards, uh, Mark and I would have been boring to watch. Honestly, I, I think we would have just been, you know, we would have both tried to wrestle each other, you know, because both both are like what, what made Mark good. You know, Mark turned into a banger. Well, he'll get in front of you and he'll bang with you. But pr- prior to that, you know, like uh, both his attitude, my attitude was, Hey, if I can just make whoever's in front of me, wrestle me, then I stand a pretty good chance because I'm a really good wrestler. Right. So if I could take a guy that's a jiu-jitsu guy and I could turn him into a wrestler, I have a chance to beat him because I know how to wrestle. So, um, Sakuraba would have been too small. He would have been too small. Um, you know, Gary Goodridge probably would have been okay, except I would have just made him wrestle me. Um, God, man! You know what? Honestly, my the original fight that I got, I got contracted to fight Hoist Gracie in Pride Number Two, I believe. Instead, I fought Bronco Take because Hoist hurt his back. Okay. So, Hoist, Hoist would have been the one, I think, because I was at my peak at the time we had negotiated a deal, and I think he was still pretty damn fit. Um, I don't think he's ever been out of shape, you know, so I think that would have been the one.
0: That would have been interesting, yeah, for Kerr, Kerr and Hoist. Who would you do, you, do you watch the product now? you follow UFC? I, I, do, I started
1: following a little bit more over the last
0: year. And if you were um if if you were uh, competitive today or if 20 years ago, the guys from today were fighting then, who who would be your best opponent?
1: Oh my god, man. There's so many studs right now. Uh, so many studs. Um God man, you know what? And I look at it going, I I would have needed to start with my hands and feet when I was like Ten years old to be it competitive with John Jones. He is just—he's so nat- naturally gifted with with how he fights and what he's capable of. Um, you know yeah, that, what, I Rick—that I, I, I mean that—that's that's, I that's who I would watch, watch. That'd be a
0: good one. Yeah, I'd love what? to see the fantasy video game. That would be oh. really cool. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, Mark. It, as much as deep as I've been into this business and have been in it for so long, and despite the fact that I, you know, call you a a, a personal friend and and was your manager, I'm still a fan. So it's fun to talk about this shit. So I had to bring it up. Um, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure people out there would be fascinated by, you know, Mark Mark Kerr versus John Jones versus Tank. <laughs> I think that things are going to happen. So it's it's cool to uh, it's cool to think about. That's all.
1: Oh, um, for sure, man. There there's so many good fighters out there right now. I mean, there really there really are. I mean, you know, it's turned into where, you know, people will call it a sanitized version of MMA, you know, compared to when, you know, when you were managing the fighters and I was fighting, you know, it is more sanitized, but still it's you know, it's created a really unique product, you know, where where, you know, there's some studs. There's
0: some studs out there. Yeah, yeah, they're very well-rounded uh, athletes and with all-around skills. It's it, yeah, it's amazing with how the sport has changed, no doubt. Well, man, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to to in, indulge my being a fan. Thank you. Um, oh, that's no anytime, Rick. <laughs> right on, cool. Um, but more than that, thanks for the conversation, man. I mean, it's it, it's really good to reconnect with you and. You know, on a personal level, mark, I'm really happy to hear how well you're doing these days and that how much you're enjoying fatherhood and uh, i'm I'm glad you're I, I, we didn't talk about it in this call but we did before. I'm glad that your health is good um man, you know what mark May, maybe uh maybe there's always another chance for us huh and for everybody else
1: yeah, I know right I mean, it just you know i if you would ask me. I I look at it like this. I mean, my biggest accomplishment is raising a competent, you know, well-adjusted child. You know, I mean, my God, in this day and age, how freaking difficult that is, you know, know. with all the distractions and different shit that's going on. So if I accomplish that, it'll pale in comparison to everything else. It really will.
0: Well, and I think the message behind that, Mark, is you, you just described something that any human being potentially is capable of. So as you said, man, it's all about doing the next right thing. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know where to leave it other than that, man. I, thank you thank you so much for, for being a guest on Talking Tough. I really enjoyed our time together. And uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll give you a call over the next few days just to say hello again.
1: Yeah, for sure, please do, and uh, I'll have to hook back in with the show, um, you know, when all this stuff with uh, DJ gets going, and that gets into production, and there's some news about that, man, you'll have to have me back on the show, and uh, I can update the fans and stuff of uh, what's going on with that.
0: Uh, I would love to do that. Mark, thank you so much. Everybody out there, this is Rick Batchman for Talking Tough, signing off with Mark Kerr. Thank you, Mark.
1: All right, anytime, Rick.